No trespassing. Two very simple words that everyone understands, even those who don't speak English, has become a universal warning for danger, for something foreboding. It also became an invitation to uncover something secret. Only in rare cases, the warning gives us a reason why we shouldn't trespass, yet rarely we bother to ask the question, why do we follow these orders? If we don't know why these orders are in place, why do we follow them blindly? Easy. We assume it's for the greater good, as we're taught to obey the order, to trust just the decision. We're taught to never question its authority. We obey the order and stay clueless, clueless of what dangers or what secrets may lay behind the barrier. Are you never curious about what's on the other side? Well, let's just say some secrets are better left to be secrets. A girl named Lucy Kinsley. Hello, my name is Lucy Kinsley and I'm a 15 year old. A few days back I did an amazing discovery and this blog post will serve us both as my logbook as well as my diary. But let me start with the beginning. My story started in July, a boring summer as most of my friends were on vacation or on summer camp while I was stuck in the small township of Montes Creek, Great Britain. Population around 5,000, mostly farmers or city folk trying to escape the stressful existences they lived in the big city, in the exciting world. Grass is always greener on the other side, isn't it? In order to kill the boredom, I ran little errands for people in the village, mostly senior citizens with walking difficulties. Now, the thing with elderly is, one doesn't simply bring them their groceries and leave. The prime example of this was, without a doubt, Geraldine Lamb, and normally that didn't bother me. I had nothing else to do and they were so happy when they could talk to someone. To finally have a visitor that isn't there to measure their blood pressure or prescribe medication. But that Friday was different. Friday the 12th. I'll never forget that day. With family coming over from out of town. I had a curfew. My mother expected, or in more truthful wordings, ordered me to be home at 6pm. And my mother isn't someone you would want to disappoint. Having a curfew was one thing, but explaining that to someone like Miss Lamb was a different story. Come on, dear. Stay, have another biscuit. Or more tea. I'm sure your mother will understand. I was sure that my mother would flay me alive if I dared to be late, but I kept that from myself. Instead, I tried to convince her I couldn't stay any longer, while discouraging her attempts to force-feed me biscuits. Miss Lamb was even worse than my mother as she didn't seem to understand the word no, and when I finally managed to leave, I had only 10 minutes to get home, and the trip back home would take me at least 20 minutes. My only option to make it in time was by using the underpass. If I was lucky, I might make it in under 10 minutes, yet this plan had one big problem. The underpass had been closed for longer than I could remember. 
A big sign with no trespassing was written on it, discouraging anyone from using it, forcing people to go around it and lengthen their journey with a mile. When I arrived at the underpass, the sign was there, as threatening and foreboding as ever, but I also saw a clear light on the other side of the tunnel. That sight made me wonder what would be worse, facing the wrath of my mother or facing the consequences of going through the underpass. As I didn't really have the luxury of wasting any more time, taking the latter risk seemed more preferable option and after making sure there was no one who had seen me and stopped me, I crawled under the sign with my bike in hand. If the underpass was really so dangerous that nobody should go there, they would have used something more efficient to keep people away. Wouldn't they have? They would have closed the underpass properly, walled up its entrances or so. But back then, nothing seemed out of the ordinary. I drove through the underpass with no problem. The road was decent enough to drive, and I saw not a single sign that indicated that the tunnel would collapse anytime soon. No visible cracks, no erosion, not even the growth of mold. There was a bit of graffiti which abandoned construction didn't suffer from such mild vandalism, and graffiti didn't change the integrity of concrete. The only thing that struck me as odd was a red line in the middle of the tunnel, a red line about an inch thick, marking the floor, the walls, and the ceiling. It didn't look like ordinary graffiti. It was too simple. Not extravagant enough. I didn't know why, but the site had something unsettling. Not that I had much time to think about it, as my time was running out. Trying to make up for the time I spent wondering about the Red Ark, I raced towards the exit of the underpass as soon as possible, and I almost collided with the sign on the other side of it. But thanks to that shortcut, I got home in time and didn't have to spend the rest of the vacation with house arrest. Everything was fine. Right? But the problem was, it wasn't. Later that night, I felt myself unable to fall asleep. I just couldn't stop wondering why the underpass was closed. I had seen nothing that would justify such a decision. Even stranger was the fact that I never questioned that decision before. For as long as I could remember, the underpass had been closed, and yet I had no idea why. Maybe it's just human nature just to follow instructions without knowing why. We're taught that it is forbidden, that it's unsafe, but for some odd reason, that answer wasn't enough for me. Not anymore. I had to know why the underpass was closed. There had to be a reason, and I was planning on uncovering that reason. Not only would it satisfy my curiosity, it would also give me something to do. Something else than listening to Lamb's stories about her father's war antics. Don't get me wrong, the first time around these stories are interesting, but... After you've heard the same story over and over again, well, I can tell you that the novelty quickly wears off. And maybe I should also uncover the purpose of the strange red line. Perhaps it marked a meridian. My research started in the library. In our modern age, I could try to Google it, 
But people who ever tried to find something so specific on Google will agree with me. This was by far the easiest option of the two. I searched in books. I read old newspapers with some interesting but incoherent results. But from what I had gathered, the underpass was built in 1973 and was already closed in 1980 after two bodies were found near the tunnel entrance. I couldn't find much details on their story, however, only that it was presumed to be the bodies of a couple in their mid-twenties that were gone missing a few weeks prior, and that they were robbed. The underpass was closed for further investigations, but I couldn't find any reports that they ever opened the underpass again. But in later years, more people had disappeared near the underpass, mostly drug-related, but nobody really cared about it. So, other than a grim history, there was no actual reason to close the underpass. Then I thought, maybe there was something I had neglected to notice when I drove through it. After all, I was in a hurry my first time through. There was only one way to be certain. To trespass once more. And so, armed with a flashlight, I returned to the place and ignored for a second time the sign that tried to stop me from entering. With the flashlight, I scanned the ceiling and the walls. Still, no visible cracks. Little erosion, maybe, but nothing that looked like something to worry about. I looked at the graffiti on the walls, in the hope that they might tell me stories about this place. Stories that my information from the library neglected to tell me. As one could expect, most of it was profanity. Others just boastful. But one writing in particular caught my attention. Go away. I looked around and noticed a second writing, a few meters farther, written with the same handwriting. Leave. At that point, I actually considered that advice, but when I looked around, there was nothing to see. I felt brave and ignored the warning. But closer to the unsettling red line, I found the most disturbing message of all. It was clearly written by the same author of the previous two warnings. Same handwriting. But this wasn't a warning. It lurks in the dark. Look behind you. For a brief moment, I could only watch at the writing on the wall, too shocked to move. With a heart that was pounding so fast that it hurt, I slowly turned around and aimed the flashlight at the wall behind me. While breathing heavily, I read a new message at the opposite wall. Boo. Relieved, but also a bit ashamed for being such a scaredy cat, I shook my head and decided that I should stop following instructions written on walls. Once my heart rate dropped back to acceptable levels, I continued my investigation by checking the red line. It was a perfect line, no spots on either side, and the paint didn't look like regular paint used by graffiti artists. More like the paint used for road marking. That could explain why it was spotless, but it still begged the question, why? Why would anyone bother to paint a red line in a tunnel? Covering the floor, walls, and ceiling. What purpose did it serve? If it served a purpose at all. It could be some sort of joke by the people who made the tunnel, or 
some sort of a silent protest. But still, that red line struck me as odd. The idea that it was marking a meridian was already disproven at this point by my research in the library. Beyond the red line, I saw more graffiti, less than in the first part of the tunnel, but with the same messages, the same old jokes, and the same boasting that I could only attribute to lowlifes with too much times on their hands. If the graffiti was decent, I'd called it art, but you would find more fine art in a kindergarten than in this abandoned tunnel. The red line had no reason to be here, but other than that, there was nothing out of the ordinary, and the underpass would be used for its intended purpose, to provide a shortcut to the other side of town. The Underpass Incident For the coming week, I kept using the underpass. It was more convenient than the detour, and it strangely felt good driving through the tunnel. A feeling of freedom, ecstasy, maybe even rebellious towards the authority who placed the signs. And surprise, surprise, nothing happened. At first. Nine days after I actually started using the underpass, it started to reveal its true secrets to me. And at no point in my life had I been so scared. While running some errands for Miss Lamb, I returned from the supermarket with her bags filled with groceries, and once again, I used the underpass. And once again, once I brought Miss Lamb her groceries, I was instructed to take place on her sofa and listen to the story of how Derek Lamb fought in the Battle of Paschendil how he heroically fought against the Germans, and how he barely managed to survive in the trenches. Lucky for me, however, the story was cut short this time when somebody called at the door. It was her daughter, Catherine. Her surname escapes me for the moment. After the usual pleasantries, I was off the hook and ready to go home. A bit to the disappointment of Granny Lamb, but hey, we can't all get what we want. When I looked at my watch, I saw only an hour had passed, which with Lamb's storytelling skills could be considered a record. Maybe I could spend some time at the lake. But my joyful thoughts were roughly disrupted when I was halted by Caroline Winters, a friend of my mother. The moment she saw me, she ran to me and hugged me. Not really knowing what was going on, I remained silent and waited till she explained her sudden need to hug me. To my surprise, she was crying. With tears in her eyes, she looked at me and said, sobbing, I'm so sorry to hear about your mother. When I heard it, my mother, I had no idea what I had heard. With a shock, I started asking myself the question. What had happened since I left the house that morning? She was so young, way too young to go, and I'm sure that the other driver was drunk. I am just sure of it. As the horror of her words invaded my mind like toxic gas, I was unable to react. I was unable to speak. The idea of my mother having an accident died. My world fell apart, and without thinking... I jumped on my bike and drove home as fast as I could while fighting against the tears. I didn't care what impression I might have had made on people that day. 
It was all of a lesser importance when compared to the horrible news that Winters had brought me. It felt so unreal. It felt impossible. I raced through the underpass without paying any attention to it or my surroundings. When I arrived at the house, I saw her car at the entranceway. Nothing seemed out of the ordinary, nothing that pointed at a crash. The boot was open, revealing that she just returned from the shop with groceries. What was going on? I stormed inside trying to find her. And there she was, in the kitchen, greeting me and asking me if I could take the rest of the groceries out of the car. But I couldn't react, paralyzed by her presence. Could only look at her, trying to comprehend what the hell just happened. Winters told me that my mother had an accident. She told me she had died. Was this a sick joke or something? My mother immediately saw that there was something wrong. She could always tell if I had problems. She asked me if something was wrong, something I denied too quickly. I told her that I was just a bit tired, while in reality, I was just happy that she was still alive. I'm sure she didn't believe me, but she did let it rest. Only when I tried to go to my room, she reminded me of her previous request of taking the bags out of the car. I had completely forgotten that she had asked me that question, and such forgetfulness doesn't really help if you're trying to act natural. I smiled vaguely, apologized, and did what was asked of me. Now later that night, I couldn't put the idea of Caroline Winters crying over the death of my mother out of my head. It looked convincing to me, and Winters never struck me as a great actress. But what was going on? It was something that kept bothering me. Why had she been convinced that my mother had died? But also, the rest of the story didn't add up. How would Winters know about an accident involving my mother before I did? Also, the way she phrased it was bizarre, to say the least. Like she was under the impression that I was aware of what happened to my mother. She didn't seem to question my presence at Lamb's house for a second, while my mother supposedly died that day. While every normal person would be expecting that I was mourning the loss at home or in the hospital with my family, it was also bizarre. Little did I know that this would only be the beginning. The next day, my mother asked me a question that blew all other concerns out of the water. She asked me where I had been the last week. Surprised by this odd question, I told her for that the past week, I'd been running errands for Geraldine Lamb. My claims were immediately dubbed lies and followed by a demand for the truth. According to her, Lamb hadn't seen me in ten days, having called my mother, wondering if I was ill or something. I was stunned. I couldn't comprehend what had happened. First, her friend told me that she had died, and now Geraldine Lamb was telling her that she hadn't seen me in days. Not since... Well, not since I had used the underpass for the first time. Could there be a connection between these two events? It had to be. 
It was the only explanation. Her next question came even more as a shock. She asked me if I was using drugs behind her back. I denied said claim, of course, but I'm not sure if she believed me. She warned me that if this behavior would continue, with me disappearing, I would be grounded. But I could care less about being punished at that moment. I had to find out what was happening to me. I had to find out if there was any connection between the underpass and my apparent disappearances. Instead of taking the practical approach of actual experimenting, I started with doing some research first, looking if there were any similar cases, people who had experienced the same strange occurrences as I had. My first searches remained fruitless, and the need to return to the underpass and try some theories grew by the day. I don't know why I had those feelings, those needs, but I couldn't shake off the idea that all the answers I craved could be found in the underpass, and only in the underpass. It was a feeling that I knew I had to suppress. That acting on these feelings without knowing what I was dealing with would be ill-advised and a stupid thing to do. After a good week of searching and speculating on explanations, I discovered a website that appeared to be able to provide me with answers. It introduced me to the concept of timeline synchronization, a theory that claimed that it was possible for people to end up on a different timeline. With the help of a portal, in most cases a tunnel or a cave, one can enter a different timeline, replacing their counterpart on the other side. Only timelines where the person have a counterpart and where the counterpart is near the portal, most preferably using the tunnel or cave in their timeline, are accessible. Because of this specific criteria in most cases, this tunnel or cave will act as a regular tunnel or cave. If another timeline is in fact reachable, the person will likely not be aware that they have infiltrated a different timeline due to the similarities in the timelines. In many cases, these travelers only become aware of their visits to other timelines when certain taken actions remain unnoticed or unaccredited when they are reported missing for a few hours or days, or finally, because of subtle differences between timelines, stemming from prior the traveler's arrival. It is believed that portals can only be used in one direction, which depends on the timeline. The Doll Experiment My first reaction to this explanation was disbelief. This was impossible. It was insane. I kept this attitude for a few days, before coming to the painful realization that it was also the only explanation I could find, the only story that came close to representing my own experience. And for some reason, I couldn't shake off the feeling that that sight might have been onto something. My better judgment kept telling me that it was bollocks, but still, I felt that there was only one way that I could be certain. I can create an experiment that would verify the existence and accessibility of these alternate timelines. It took me a few days to come up with a proper idea, 
as I had to be sure that what I had tried would give me results that were clear. If there was even the slightest ambiguity about the results, they would be useless to me. The results had to be irrefutable. These are my notes of the experiment, which I dubbed the doll experiment. The doll experiment had a goal to prove the existence of an alternate timeline and the possibility to access them. The experiment was actually quite easy. I had to create a token, an unusual object, and place it in my desk. I chose to make a little doll of wood and twigs from the forest, a skill I had learned from my paternal grandfather. The reason why I had to use a new doll was easy. Since it would be made for the purpose of the experiment, it would only be found in my timeline. I had no reason to assume that in another timeline someone was doing the same experiment, or if that was the case, I only would encounter such timelines. I placed it in a drawer of my desk to make it even more unlikely any of my counterparts would do the same. It would also diminish the change that my parent would meddle with things. Now, they didn't have the habit of going into my room if I wasn't there, but I rather didn't take my chances, especially since my mother had started to suspect me to use drugs. As a final precaution, I decided to only try my luck on days I knew they wouldn't be home, when they were at work. The other days I would keep my regular routine of doing errands for people, while evading the underpass. Now I had an idea what may lay behind that red ring. I thought it would be best not to use the tunnel when I was performing any experiments. I had no need for it to complicate things, and the last thing I wanted to see were more people reporting me missing. But with the doll in place, I could start the experiment. If I used the underpass and returned home using the detour, there were two possible outcomes. One. The object was still there and nothing meaningful had happened, unless I would encounter other contradictions within my timeline. And two, the object was gone and I would have my proof. My first attempts were futile. Time after time, when I got home, I found the doll where I had put it. I almost had given up on my clearly foolish attempts to recreate an internet fantasy when finally something happened. I came home and went to my room. The doll was nowhere to be found. Excited, I opened every drawer and I looked under the bed. After careful consideration, I even dared to ask the woman who was my mother in this timeline about the doll. But based on her reaction, it was safe to say that the doll never existed in this timeline. For a moment, I thought I was going crazy that I was seeing things and judging how the other mother looked at me. She had similar thoughts. There was but only one way to be certain that it wasn't just my mind playing tricks on me. By returning to what I called my timeline. After making up some lame excuse about having forgotten something in Lamb's house, I left the house hoping that my plan would work. If I failed, I had no idea what I should do, as explaining my odd behavior would likely be the least of my problems. I followed the road I used to get here, and a few minutes later, I looked at the arc that formed the entrance to the tunnel. The signs looked as authoritative as ever, but as usual, I ignored them. 
Arriving back home with the feeling that I was behaving idiotic, I ran inside and tried to go to my room to check for the doll. If everything went as I hoped it did, I would find the doll. But before my foot could even touch the first step of the stairs, my mother called back to me. With shoes of lead, I followed the sound of her voice and found her in the living room. She asked me why I didn't greet her when I came home, before asking me about my day. Nothing about the wooden doll, nothing about my behavior when I left the house, not even the slightest hint that she questioned my hasty departure or that she was even aware of said events. As the truth was too bizarre to be an explanation she would accept, I told her that I spent the day at the lake, reading a book. And after I could ensure her that I only had been reading a book, I was free to go to my room. When I returned to my room and opened the second drawer on the left side of the desk, I had my confirmation. In the middle, on the book that my mother believed I had been reading at the lake, was the doll. I wasn't going insane, no. The underpass was really a portal to another timeline, and based on the fact that my actions in this parallel timeline didn't echo back to my world, it didn't affect my timeline. On the other side, so now you know my discovery, I discovered a working portal to other timelines. It is interesting how even slight alterations in history leads to vast new worlds. The last few days, I have visited timelines where events that never really had an impact on me personally, events like 9-11, or more recently, the Boston bombings, never had happened. Other times, I found myself in timelines with more personal alternations. Timelines where my parents are divorced, or where Miss Lamb had died of a heart attack in 2009. In the last timeline I visited, my mother was pregnant with a baby brother. In all fairness, sometimes I've had problems with returning to my own world, and not because of some physical or metaphysical force tried to stop me, but because some timelines seem to be better than my own. But I can't stay in these timelines for too long. I know too much of the other timelines, and too little about these new ones. Such a pity. I wonder where the portal will lead me today, because that is another problem with the portal. I never know in which timeline I will end up. I only know that a parallel me has to be present and alive in the parallel Monty's Creek. But I have to be quick today. Just a quick look at the other side and then back home. My friend Caitlin is back and I just have to tell her about this portal. She wouldn't believe what she sees. And of course, I will tell you guys all about this adventure as well. Author note. That was the final blog post entry posted by Lucy Kinsley. Lucy went missing on August 20th, 2013. According to her mother, she left to see a friend who was back in town and wouldn't be late. Her mother never saw her daughter back alive. Four days after the mysterious disappearance, 
Her body was found near the entrance of the abandoned Monty Creek underpass. To everyone's astonishment, her skin was covered with blisters. An autopsy later revealed that her lungs and her windpipe were covered by the same blisters, and according to the autopsy report, she died of a combination of third-degree burns of both skin and lung tissue, as well as pulmonary edema. Biopsy and toxicological reports suggested that the cause of death was contact with a chemical agent, similar to sulfur mustard, better known as mustard gas. That said, the chemical used to kill Kinsley seemed far more potent than the gas used by the Imperial German Army in World War I. Who or what did this to her remains a mystery to this day. The only source that gives us a little insight on the subject is her blog post. We were ordered to remove the blog post from the internet and cover up the true story of what happened to this girl. But I knew this couldn't remain a secret forever. I believe it is better to post the story. People have the right to know what happened. Have the right to be informed. People have to be warned about this. I did, however, change the names of the people involved as well as the name of the town. Believe me if I say I have a good reason to keep people away from this place. Speaking of which, at moment of this writing, I'm standing at the underpass, looking at the sign, No Trespassing. We were ordered to cover up Lucy's death as much as possible, even counterfeiting her autopsy report. The official report speaks of a mysterious acid thrower, and the case had slowly become a cold case, forgotten by media and the town. But the original signs are still in place. No extra security, no fence, no walls. Just two simple signs at each side of the underpass. Why don't we cover things up properly? Why didn't we wall up the underpass? There hasn't been a day that I didn't wonder why they never chose a more permanent solution. I believe it wasn't up to us to take that decision. Maybe there is something that simply won't allow us to shut it off completely. There also hasn't passed a day that I wasn't curious what I might find on the other side of the underpass. I know I will likely come to regret this. No, I know that I will come to regret this, but I guess there's only one way to find out.